0: Welcome, welcome to Mystical Musings, April 20th, 2014, here in the Library of Colorado Heights University. The highest point in Denver with Myron McClellan and myself, Lawrence Phillips. Those of us who who identify as spiritual, though not necessarily religious, who are non-sectarian and non-denominational, are the fastest-growing demographic of the sacred communities in America today. Thank you for joining us and creating our community of mystics, people seeking to obtain unity with God, the breath of life, the gentle whisper, the great spirit. As a community of mystics who know spiritual apprehension of truths beyond the intellect, I am because we are. I am because we are one, celebrating body and spirit. Today's mystical musing, embodied resurrection. The great mystic secret of the Easter event is that Jesus returned, not as a vision, but in a body. What was he trying to teach us about ourselves in making a physical return? We discuss this in a new light because of recent revelations, and we extend our thoughts to questions about how each of us, as well as the earth herself, is experiencing resurrection. All is being made new in this new era of ours. And the Easter event contains more transformational information than we have known before. The information is extremely exciting and leads us to very practical ways of using the new knowledge in our everyday lives. And it gives us a new understanding of how all the kingdoms of the earth, the David, the animal, the plant, the mineral kingdoms, are experiencing Resurrection. So sitting as you obviously are, unencumber yourselves if you could, if you have anything in your laps or hands or whatever, if your legs are crossed, if you could uncross them just for a little while, just to sit in open position as long as you're comfortable. allowing yourself in your sit to have ever so slightly a flexion in your spine and then ever so slightly an extension. And so you're oscillating very slightly, just a little bit above and a little bit below the horizon so that you can feel from your pelvis all the way through your spine this very gentle oscillation, this fundamental pattern of action in being human, in being alive. And when you feel in particular the rising and you come a little bit above the horizon, take note of what you experience in your body, in your heart, in your mind, just sensing and feeling and noticing the quality of the action that allows you to come just a little bit above the horizon. We so rarely do that in our culture. Notice how the rising is for you. Noticing as you're rising that you're coming ever so slightly above the horizon. Noticing the effect that this has upon your breathing, upon the openness in your heart. The New Testament is founded on Jesus. The New Testament is the resurrection of the Old Testament. A wrathful God transforms into a God of love. Resurrection occurs in us as we first feel deeply and then allow to transform our anger, fear, victim, hurt, Judgment into love, anger transforming into love. There is a rising, that is what resurrection means, is a rising from the etymology of the Latin. There is a rising, a resurrecting from a focus on the second chakra tribalism and the third chakra power to the fourth chakra heart as a paradigm matrix of love as the foundation for the new era. Resurrection is a concept of a living being coming back to life after death. As a religious concept, it is used in three distinct respects a belief in the resurrection of Jesus, but also of individual souls that is current and ongoing. Or else a belief in a singular resurrection of the dead event at the end of the world, a standard belief in the Abrahamic Abrahamic religions. In quite a number of ancient religions, a life, death, rebirth deity is a deity which dies and resurrects. The death and resurrection of Jesus is of course central to Christianity. From the mystic perspective, resurrection is both outer and inner, both historical and experiential, as there are many paths up the mountain to God. There have been many resurrections historically, many religions sharing with the world an avatar who dies and rises again. As inner is the primary mystic direction, the resurrection within is a spiritual experience of rebirth after a descent, a death, a mystical experience that profoundly impacts our lives. Such mystic occurrences happen through our primary portals of knowing, that is to say our senses, our emotions, our thoughts, our embodied movements, and our relationship to the great spirit. Five primary portals for self-knowledge, sensing, feeling, thinking, moving, and spiriting. 50% of Americans have had a mystical experience. More of us than is commonly acknowledged experience a mystic moment and even a resurrection upon special occasion. There have been, especially here in Colorado, magnificent mornings wherein, is not, wherein it is not just me awakening, but creation itself at least as experienced through my senses and in my heart. I know many of you have had the same experience. And of course, the mega meme of Jesus is profoundly present in all of our psyches, if for no other reason than that billions of humans hold it as so, thereby creating this gigantic field of Christness on the planet and in each of us, whether or not we focus on it in an intentionally religious way. Certainly there are the way-showers, those amongst us who have had another perception and experience of reality, those amongst us who are indeed spiritually adept, the masters, the teachers, the guides, the holy ones, and even the children who hold a key to innocence as the presence process, a very wonderful book that we have been reading now for months, um, would have it our, that innocence is our inner sense the sense vehicle through which the world becomes new, becomes reborn, is innocent, becomes awakened, becomes resurrected. I remember a young embodied learning student of mine from Princeton, Ken, nine years old at the time. I'd seen him for a couple of months and one day he comes in after a visit with his father to a workshop in California and says to me, would you like to see me bend a spoon with my mind?" And I said, well, sure. (laughs) Nine years old. Sure enough, while closing his eyes and appearing to concentrate for a minute or so, he took what had been a relatively solid stainless steel spoon and then easily just twirled it like butter. And he said, would you like to see me do it again? (laughs) And I said, well, yeah, of course. (laughs) And then proceeded to do the same thing a second time, to bend my notions of what is possible. There are indigo children amongst us. We have met some, not all who bend spoons, but who have other spiritual talents way beyond their years. Like the young artist, Akiana, who we have uh, shared with you a number of times, who is a prodigy painter and has painted some remarkable paintings at six, eight years old. Just extraordinary. Google her. She's amazing. And so, some amongst a new generation represent a form of embodied resurrection who in fundamentally new ways redefine the experience of our being human. How does resurrection though emerge from each of us? So far, It's still out there. How does it come from within? Certainly there are awakenings each of us have had, moments of hyperlucidity, moments of profound interconnectedness, meditative moments that profoundly transcend our daily chop wood and carry water practices, moments of transforming even ecstatic music, poetry, dance, and embodied resurrecting. From the presence process in week 10, Michael Brown says, our physical bodies, though they appear separate, aren't. They are intimately, energetically connected to each other's body. And so now, right now, beginning to breathe intentionally, I recommend that primary mystic direction at the moment to shut off the visual cortex, to go inside, to go inside and to breathe intentionally, where you're linking the breathing. You let it be continuous, inhaling and exhaling. And let it be just a bit deeper, not a deep breath necessarily, but just a bit deeper. And include, with your eyes closed, for those of you who would like to close your eyes, include the sense perception imagined or felt of your fellow mystics right now letting go of your jaw softening the eyes the lips intentionally breathing with a following mantra as you inhale I as you exhale am inhale here exhale now inhale in Exhale this, I am here now in this. And so let's deepen now for a few minutes as you repeat the breathing, repeat the mantra, I am here now in this.
1: so great to be in your company today. All your smiling faces and your glowing hearts are such an inspiration. This is the company I like to be in. And we say Happy Easter to all those Christians around the world celebrating today. And we say Happy Passover to all those Jews who have celebrated this week, Passover, Both of those holidays are about the triumph over death by divine intervention. So there are lots of parallels between Passover and Easter. I'm going to talk today about the Easter story and not so much about the Passover story, although I think I could use either for their symbolism. So, it's such a beautiful, joyful feeling to connect to the collective on Easter morning because it's such a time of hope, it's such a time of joy, such a time of triumph, that the whole world seems to come alive, including, of course, the plant world. Right? With all of the spring blossoms coming out. It's a very joyful, awesome time. So, I'm not going to talk about the Easter story in the Orthodox terms. Many of you have already been to church. So, now you're here for this mystical assembly. So, I'm going to talk about the crucifixion and the resurrection in mystical terms. It's, those two are often separated. One regretted and one celebrated. But for the mystic, they're all one thing. The mystic consciousness holds death and life at the same time. We know without dying to the old, we cannot be reborn into the new. And so crucifixion often means letting go of who we were, of what our beliefs were, what our practices were, letting go into a new expansion. So, crucifixion and resurrection are coming to us in this day when evolution is moving so rapidly and joyfully, We know that in some moments we feel that celebration and that joy because there's so much grace available, more than any other time I've known. And we can be totally joyful for no apparent reason. Just being joyful. Now, what does crucifixion mean? Well, I think besides what I'm saying, letting the old go, it is also a time in which we feel abandoned or forsaken. Jesus' first words on the cross were, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now it's there also in the Old Testament because David says the same thing in the Psalms over and over again. So the downtimes that we go through now are times of feeling forsaken because we can't get our connection. And then other days we feel just so connected that we're just living the divine presence. So we want to talk about the symbolism of this, the experience of it, in a way that can make us walk it and live it. We're really not interested in the Mystical Musings in theoretical, speculative theology. We're interested in theology we can live. We're interested in coming out of our own experience as mystics to report what we have been told and what we have been given. So we're very excited to have you with us today and excited to talk about this meme because it is so important, and so hopeful, and so filled with joy. So thank you for being with us to celebrate Passover, Easter, and a mystical combination of them two. Namaste.
0: For those of you who do not know because there's some new faces here today, Myron's music is channeled with all of your help. It's improvisational. It's spontaneously creative. It takes 65 years to create this spontaneous music. (laughs) And um, it is uh, made with all of your help, unique to this moment and something that we all help to create that's channeled through Myron's wonderful talent. In our family, Myron tends toward being the opti-mystic, whereas I tend toward being the pessy mystic And for just a moment, if you would indulge me, I would like to be a little pessy about it all. <laughs> what challenges we face here in the new era of this 21st century. There is such an unsettled collective sense currently with the acceleration of exponential change, the tsunami of technological transformation sweeping over the globe, including technology's shadow in the aptly named heart bleed bleed security bug just recently. Here in uh, America for over 30 years, there's a flat middle class income and ongoing loss of jobs. The great wealth gap Globally, we have the gigantic wave of climate change pummeling our planet in so many growingly extreme ways, including the loss of the coral reefs and the acidification of the oceans and the losses of the fisheries. There is the intractability of polarized politics and the extreme skewing of facts and truth in the media, proliferating gun violence in America, And now we have towns in California as well as the heartland and around the world facing severe drought, with the increasing likelihood that fresh water will become a commodity more valuable than oil. There is the escalating face-offs between Russia and Ukraine, as well as between China and Japan, the ongoing horrors of Syria and the Middle East. It's all enough to make one pretty pessy. No wonder anxiety is a widespread collective response to our uh, extraordinarily volatile times. But let me also make the case for the optimistic perspective. Thought you'd never, thought I'd never get there. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, springtime in the Rockies, crocuses, the fragrances of the hawthorns, the daffodils, the tulips, the pussyfoot. Hyacinth, crabapple, sinkfoil, plum blossoms—the budding emergence and in, the York Times, in the new era. This seems to me evidence for transformation. So, Easter commemorates when Jesus <laughs> hid the eggs for the disciples to find, and then turned all the rabbits I into I do look each right? month for incipient evidence for mass positive transformation, and when I found this, I just jumped up and down. My atheism is hardcore, rooted in family tradition rather than adolescent rebellion. According to family legend, one of my 19th century ancestors, a dirt poor Irish American woman in Montana expressed her disgust with the church by vehemently refusing last rites when she lay dying in childbirth. From then on, we were atheists and rationalists, a stance I perpetuated by opting initially for a career in science. By now you know I'm not talking about myself, but rather about a recent New York Times Sunday Review article by Barbara Ehrenrich, uh, who is the author of Living with a Wild God. She goes on to explore, how else to understand the world except as the interaction of tiny bits of matter and mathematically predictable forces? There were no gods or spirits, just our own minds pressing up against the unknown. But then something happened to the author when she was 17 years old that shook her safely rationalist worldview and left her with a lifelong puzzle, that something was what many have called a mystical experience. An early morning walk revealed to her a world, the mountains, the sky, the low scattered buildings, suddenly flame into life. This mystic moment had no visions, no prophetic voices or totemic animals, just everywhere, a blazing as symptoms. The shaman was the local schizophrenic. Saint Teresa of uh, of Avella was a hysteric. The Delphic oracles may have been inhaling intoxicants. The great uh, Christian mystics had temporal lobe epilepsy. (laughs) A recent Harvard Medical School paper suggests that revelations experienced by Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and Paul derived from primary mood disorder associated with psychotic disorder. (laughs) Those Harvard guys (laughs) and gals. We would probably have more reports of mystic experience if it were not for an understandably widespread fear of being judged insane. To her great credit, Ms. Ehrenrich considered an alternative, that these experiences may represent an encounter of some sort. She says, the merest chance that they may represent some sort of contact or encounter justifies investigation. Is science ready? Fortunately, science is changing. Have you guys been watching Cosmos? If you haven't, take a look. Fantastic, Neil deGrasse deGrasse Tyson, uh, an astrophysicist who is uh, in the tradition of Carl Sagan. Science is changing most notably with quantum mechanics, and the realization that even the most austere vacuum is a happening place bursting with possibility. Our mystical experiences give us tantalizing glimpses of other forms of consciousness, which may be beings of some kind, ordinarily invisible to us. It could be that the universe is itself pulsing with a kind of life, and capable of bursting into something that looks like a flame. The mystic experience itself is a kind of resurrection, one that is rare and special, yet available to all of us. With the unfolding of our new era, humanity itself is rising, is being reborn, is resurrecting. So namaste. I honor the place in you wherein the entire universe dwells. I honor the place in you which is of love, of truth, of light, and of peace. As you are in that place in you, and I am in that place in me, we are one. Namaste.
1: I greet you once again, fellow psychotics. least <laughs> well, these are happy psychotics, right? Or some call us NTE, which are non-threatening eccentrics. Right? <laughs> that is the same thing. So my comments today really are not about Easter. It's not an Easter service. Some of you have been to Easter services. My comments are not about Passover, some of you have just celebrated it this week. But I want to develop the theme we've been excited about, or I've been very excited about. And it's just handy that Easter comes now because it has such rich symbolism to show the point I'm trying to make and also to pass on the celebration that this new idea, for me, has brought. So, those of you who were here last time are in on it, but I'm going to repeat it again, because it is so vital and alive and important, an idea. And it is an idea, again, that we can live. And the idea is this that we are evolving toward a consciousness that is a unification of the light and the dark, the yin and the yang, the male and the female. It's a conjunction, a conjunctio of opposites, which, when realized fully, and this is the exciting part for me, brings us to an absolutely new and heretofore unexperienced consciousness. So what we're moving toward is not just the light. That's been my fallacy. No wonder he has to be a pessimistic, right? Because really, I do find myself light-centric, And hoping, I'm confessing here, (laughs) hoping that what we're doing is moving toward the light. But that's not nearly as exciting to me as moving toward a transformed light and dark. Taking the dark, the low notes, the base notes with us, the dark colors with us, the rich earthy tones with us, not just light. So moving into something that we're only beginning now to touch into and be able to live. So what this means is, for me, different from what Paul in the New Testament calls life according to the flesh or life according to the Spirit now that duality that strict duality has really influenced orthodox christianity much more than what jesus was bringing forth which was the idea that the body and earth are just as sacred as the spirit in his first miracle, he put, he put water, a feminine symbol, into stone, a male symbol. They're opposites. And it creates a new consciousness, a new wine, a wine. He also talked about the body being the temple of the Spirit. Well, temples are holy, aren't they? So we are coming to know the sacredness of our bodies, and the sacredness of the earth, and the sacredness of all that is. And when we do that, we really are moving toward that coming together of the opposites. So, I am embodying spirit, and it's okay for it to be in my body. You know how radical some Christians have been in our history, like the Puritans, in Scandinavia, but also here, which talked about the body as being vile and putrid, right? And then we also have heard about the Buddhist notion that what we're here to do is to get out of the body, not to have to come into a body again. That's the great goal. Well, I like this goal much better since I really like physical life and all of its joys and its delights. I'm no, in no hurry at all to transcend. <laughs> and I don't plan not to come back, right? To have some more of this delicious experience, which we can really recognize as the greatest gift from spirit. Our bodies are the greatest gifts, right? They're an amazing gift to us. And they are holy and they are sacred. My friend Jeannette, where are you, Jeanette, Right there, has a wonderful book called um, Soul-Body Fusion, which I highly recommend to you because it has a very simple, elegant process that's extremely effective for allowing you to feel the divinity and sacredness of your body. Thank you, Jeanette for taking that message all over the earth. I'm really deeply indebted to you. Her book is translated into many languages, and she's off to Paris and, and uh, Germany and Denmark and God knows how many other places. So, she's spreading that word, which is the word of the day. I think this is really what we are wanting, is to feel that oneness while we're in the body. So, with this perspective, we know that we are resurrecting now. Like Jesus came back in a body to give us that message. Resurrection is here in the body. It's not in a vision. It's not in a light dimension. It is isn't all of those, but it is really here that it makes a difference. You may have noticed there's been, as I was saying before, Rapid ups and downs. Rapid times from feeling very connected and other times of not. Of feeling forsaken. That's all just to let go of what used to be. Let that die on those days of disconnection so that we can come into the new life promised to us in the crucifixion and resurrection. We're willing to go through the crucifixion of our old beliefs and our old being in order, and we'll carry that through, in order to come into resurrection. Now, this is a continual process, and will be, because we'll always be growing beyond where we are now. That's the exciting thing about the spiritual life. That's the exciting thing about the nature of spirit itself. The Holy Spirit doesn't. Settle in, the Holy Spirit is always moving. And so we as mystics are always on the move. So you may notice in those times of expansion and wonder when you can actually feel the evolution moving really rapidly, you may find that it's almost impossible to judge another person. Almost impossible! Just doesn't like even come to you or a group or to put down groups or put down religions or whatever. It's coming to the place where we understand every person is on the right path. Every person is on the right path for him or her. Honestly, and it's all working together to move us to this grace point that we are living right now. Sometimes in in exalted awareness, in mystical awareness, in the vision of the whole, life seems to be a brilliantly choreographed dance, with everyone doing his or her steps. And there's no one else who can do those steps. No one. So we were all needed and we are all evolving and we're all longing for the coming together of the opposites. That's what's in our hearts and everyone is helping. So we see the sacredness really of the fundamentalists, we see the sacred. Of the Hasidic Jew, we see the sacredness of the Buddhist monk, we see people in their sacredness, we see the sacredness of the atheist. It's all beautiful, and we can come to live in a sense of love with all of those people instead of a sense of judgment. And living in judgment is not fun, but living love is easy. Right? I mean, it's much easier than living in judgment and discernment and condemnation and damnation. Those take a lot of energy from us and shut us down. So we're getting a lot of help these days in letting go of judgment and letting go of judgments of ourselves where we're on to the inner critic and we say, no, thank you, I'm not going there. I appreciate the information, but no, I'm not going there because I am divine, and I am divine in all my parts. I am divine in all my parts, and so I will not listen to the voice that condemns me any more than I will listen to the voice that condemns someone else. We're getting help with that. We're getting help also in very interesting and thorough ways. So, guides, spirit guides, angels, and divine beings are closer in than I've ever known them to be. In my 45 years on a conscious path, I've never felt them so close in. And it's so great when I'm with my clients because they are like, oh, that guide is standing over there. I'm like, cool. That's great. Yes, because all of us are expanding in that way. And the guides are there to help us. We are ultimately, ultimately responsible only for our own lives. And we have to take responsibility for all of it. We are at cause in our lives. However we have help and we might as well use it. So I notice that guides are helping me in every little detail in my life often. You know, wear the black socks and suddenly they appear. I had that one this morning. (laughs) And little things. However, I hedge my bets by every morning saying to my guides, Help me in every little matter today. Help me in the big things, like being loving and compassionate, centered, earthbound in a positive way. Help me connect with Mother Earth. Help me be the vessel of light and dark. Let me be the father and the mother at the same time. And also help me when I need it in little things. So if I lose something, I will find it, without even asking. So this is really, to me, a sign of the intervention of spirit in our lives. There's also another thing happening that I think is just beyond beautiful, which is it's easier to get out of the thinking mind. And into the blank oneness, into the open space, meditation is becoming much more expanded. And we can feel it. Oh, and this is the movement of spirit. And we can take that oneness out into nature and feel the oneness of all the kingdoms with the human kingdom and that's very exciting because we are all evolving together animal kingdom plant kingdom mineral kingdom they're all evolving maybe some of you have seen these recent programs on the Discovery Channel and National Geographic is talking about animal intelligence and whether uh, animals have empathy or have feelings. That's pretty clear to me, but now science is talking about it. And years ago, a man named Baxter showed that plants respond emotionally. That everything seems more alive to me than ever before because I'm practicing this business of knowing my divinity in my body, knowing it in the world, knowing it in everyone. And that is very exciting. And so what do we conclude after all of this? What are, how are we to live? How is this living knowledge? My thought is that the best gift we can give to the Creator is to have a joyful life right here celebrating our body, celebrating spirit, celebrating all that we are and just being who we are because there's no one like us and if we're not doing it then it affects everyone else. So, that's the message. Be who you are and celebrate it. Amen? Amen.
0: (laughs) Our physical bodies, though they appear separate, are not. They are intimately and energetically connected to each other's body and to the earth. Beginning, one more time, to breathe intentionally, The mantra is, I am here now in this. The I am is the source. The here now is the location in space and time. And in this is the direction and the experience. So connecting the the breath, deepening the breathing, 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 being breathed by the Great Spirit, the great message of Jesus is love. The great message of the resurrection is that love never dies, that love is eternal, that no matter how dark our moments become, love still is. Love transforms. Love rises with each breath We are rising, I am love, we are love, so be it, it is done. Amen.